0: believe that God is going to do some really good things. So we've been Is that better? Okay. So we, I think this thing gets away on me and it starts to ring. But This last last few weeks we've been doing a a series of teaching called Kickstart Your Prayer Life and um, the analogy I've been using was uh, basically asking, have you ever tried to kickstart a motorbike? And if you ever have tried to kickstart a motorbike and you get to about the fifth or the sixth kick on the bike. Oh, got to send kids out? Oh, yeah, right. What ages am I sending out? Just the elementary. Okay, elementary. You guys can go. And youth. And middle age and se- No, no, just kidding. <laughs> youth and children. You guys got your own programs running this morning. Have a great time and whatever you do. So back to kick-starting the motorbike. If you ever try to kickstart a motorbike, you might get to the fifth or sixth kick. And it doesn't start. And you start to lose hope. You think, is this thing ever going to start? And some personalities will just keep going. And some personalities will quit. And uh, starting a, um, a habit of regularly interacting with God through prayer is a little bit like kickstarting a motorbike, I think. Because a lot of us have, you know... and and there's probably lots of different people here today. There's probably people who, um, you never really prayed to God. You thought about God a little bit, but you never really prayed to God. And so there's probably a lot of people there. And there's some people who maybe you've tried to pray to God and then it got discouraging or too puzzling and you didn't go any further. Or maybe people, they really made it a priority to to begin a prayer life with God and they really sensed that that was something they wanted to do and they should do. And then over time that sort of dissipated and there wasn't a lot of energy in it or, you know, and they, they quit, right? A little bit like kick-starting the motorbike. And so we've been saying, what, what are some of the things we can talk about that will help us to be able to take either very first steps with prayer or some successive steps to help us get things going, right? How, what are some of the things that we could do to help the motorbike of prayer to take off? So the first week we talked about, uh, we, were, we were looking at the Lord's Prayer. And so just before the Lord's Prayer, which is the famous one, and we'll recite it in a little bit here, uh, so you can hang on. We'll, we'll all recite it together, and uh, we'll see how much we remember. Because some of you recited it in school when you were a kid, and some of you didn't. And um, some of you have it memorized in King James, and some of you don't. And we'll, we'll, we'll do that in a bit. But just before Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer, it says in Luke chapter 11 that the disciples were looking at Jesus. They saw him praying on his own so he's praying jesus praying to god the father and they went over and they said hey teach us to pray teach us to pray it's not like these guys had never prayed before but when they saw how jesus prayed they were like oh there's a whole new level there's so much more we we really want in on the action of what what jesus is doing we'd like to be able to pray to the father like he prays and so um that was the place to begin. And so we've, we've said as a church, this is our number one priority going forward, is to learn to be a praying church. And I think I said in the last message, I said, you know, over the next year, we're going to take these steps. Now, I didn't mean that to be that this is just a one-year, one-hit wonder, and then we'll move on to the other thing because we'll be sort of bored with that and we'll want other things. No, this is something that we need to grow in over a long, long journey. And so we we thought the very best place to start with this very specific journey was to say, God, teach us to pray. Even if you've prayed lots in your life, if we all just took the position of being an eager beginner, knowing that Jesus can teach us so much about prayer, I think that that's a great place to begin. So let me just say this. If you are a, a regular at Hillcrest, you say, hey, this is my church home. This is, I call Hillcrest my church home. And you want to know about where we're going in the future. And you weren't here on November 1st. Listen to the November 1st podcast. So just go to our website, click on the audio, and November the 1st, it's probably the most telling message of where we're going in the future that's been delivered in the whole last year, okay? So November 1st, if you say, I really like to know where my church is going so I can get on board with that, or I just want to have more of an insider's understanding of where is Hillcrest going, November 1st was specifically uh, for you. So, uh, so check that podcast out if you didn't happen to be here on November chapter, or November chapter, <laughs> the first. All right. So, teach me to pray was the first week. The second week, we talked about adding to that prayer. Teach me to pray. The word Father. Of course, um, we are approaching God as a father, and we talked about how God was a good father, and, uh, and and he good gives good gifts to his children. as We looked at that passage. We talked a little bit about the obstacles and the fuel. For prayer. So I had my my, uh, Husqvarna hedge trimmer up here and I was showing you the choke, which you can't start the engine when the choke is on. And a lot of people don't take off in prayer because uh, something's choking it out. And we talked about lots of things that are obstacles. The one I really focused on was the choking effect of shame in our lives and how that actually stops us from praying because we feel like we're not good enough to approach God and so then we don't of course we worked through that a little bit we talked about how the way to approach god is not based on your own goodness the way to approach god is based on what jesus has done right he's made the way open for us to approach god and so there was a there was an exchange that happened jesus took our place on the cross and in exchange we get to take his place before in relationship with the father right so all those disciples who were enviously looking at Jesus and realizing he had something with God the Father that they didn't have he comes along and says hey you want me to teach you to pray start with this one word father father he's your father amazing thing so that's where we went with the second week so today uh we want to we want to move on to the next next thing together but let's let's see if we can recite the lord's prayer together See if we can recite the Lord's Prayer together. Um, I'm going to see if I can get it in front of me so so I can lead us better. Because I always get confused when we get to forgive us our, is it debts or trespasses? And then everyone says it differently. So the one I have in front of me is debts this morning. Uh, Oh, we got it up there too, so we're going to be really good. Okay, do you want to stand? Let's stand and let's, again, if you... If you already have a habit of praying, pray this prayer. If you don't have a habit of praying, just recite the words, and we'll do it together, okay? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, clearly it is trespasses, even if it's... <laughs> that, actually, that actually puzzles me because that's the King James Version. And I'm pretty sure that's what I learned growing up, but um, maybe it's been updated or I'm not sure what. Anyhow, so we'll go' We'll go solve that puzzle after church today figure out what, why we still say trespasses when it I think it does say debtors. if God's your father, what does it look like to relate to him as his child? What does it look like to relate to God as a child? now now let's just I'm going to just give you some father child verses here and just go through a few of them just to really emphasize the fact that God is meant to be your father and you're supposed to relate to him as a child. Uh, Listen to this one, John 20, 17. This is Jesus after he's died, buried, and he's come, he's resurrected and he meets Mary Magdalene. And he says to this, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Instead, go to my brothers. So he's identifying this spiritual family dynamic that exists even between him and, and others. Go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. To my God and your God. So even as Jesus prayed to the Father with the word Father, we do the same and also we recognize that we have some sort of brotherhood with Jesus in this spiritual family, which is remarkable. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Mark 10, 14 to 15. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. What did he see? His followers were shooing the kids away. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So he's emphasizing how we're to come to God. That phrase, kingdom of God, just to explain it real, the kingdom of God is anywhere where Jesus is the king. So if a person says, okay, you Jesus, you can lead my life. That's the kingdom of God. Right where they are. They are a subject of the kingdom, I guess you could say. They say, you can be the boss. You can be the, lots of words we use. Spiritual words like Lord or you know, stuff like that. But boss, leader, guide, you can, you can be in charge. You can call the shots. Uh, you can be the king. And I'll be part of your kingdom. So the kingdom of God, I know when I used to pray the Lord's Prayer as a kid, I would imagine knights riding into battle, the kingdom of God, or something like that. But realistically, when I say, your kingdom come, it, is, it can be that, but it more personally is a prayer for him to be in charge of me. Your kingdom come here on earth. Well, I really can't make you say that, or mean that, I really can only choose that that's true of me. So when I say, your kingdom come, I can imagine armies serving God, but really, there's only one soldier I can give that order to. (laughs) There's only one heart that I can say that to. And that's this one. So when I say, your kingdom come, I'm talking about God being the king of my life. Let's keep going. Matthew 18.3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like little children. You'll never enter the kingdom of God. Luke 10, 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. And Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. And Abba, you know, it's a great Swedish band, but it's also, it's a word of affection. It's, a word of a, it's, a, it's like affection, like dad or daddy or father. And then Psalm 131, one to two. It's an interesting one. It says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed And quieted myself, I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So we're talking about, today I want to talk about praying like a child. Praying like a child, okay? So we've gone through, you know, asking the Lord to teach you to pray and then seeing the Lord as your father and how those are great stepping stones, great first steps to make. But here we talk about praying like a child. What do children ask for? When they ask you for stuff, or when you were a child and you asked your parents for stuff, they ask you for everything and anything. A child will ask about anything. And sometimes we might not give them what they ask because it's preposterous or it's ridiculous or it's too expensive or whatever, but they'll ask about anything. Well, how often do they ask? (laughs) repeatedly all the time and they'll ask and ask and ask and ask and it's amazing how they can wear you down and suddenly you're buying something you didn't think you would be buying (laughs) do you know that's why in sports illustrated for kids they have full page advertisements for minivans it's true why because car companies caught on who makes the decisions in a lot of homes They're skipping the (laughs) middleman. They're going right to the decision maker. Because that whining, it can kill you. (laughs) Kids are persistent. They repeatedly ask How do children ask? Well, maybe your older kids have learned to be diplomatic and to wait till you've had supper and something like that. But your younger kids, if you had younger kids or if you remember being that younger kid, they just ask. They'll ask at the most inopportune times. They'll ask when, and they'll just say what's on their minds. They don't filter their words. I want that. I also noticed that kids are really unfocused with their requests. You know, they could be on a trail of thought where it's like, I want this, and then suddenly, oh, look, a bird, and then suddenly, I want this, and you know, and they're just all over the place with their things. And you know what? I got thinking a little bit about, how if I'm supposed to approach God as a child, that this was sort of reassuring to me. Because one of the things that comes to my own prayer life is I often feel like I'm so unfocused. Like I go to pray, and it's like, okay, I'm going to be really focused in on these things. I might have even made a list for myself to try to keep me focused. But I start praying, and then I sort of get off to thinking about this thing, and then, oh, I stopped praying oh, sorry, sorry, God, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm so unfocused, you know, let me focus in again, and, and I start zooming in and maybe check my list, and I'm going to do this, and I start praying again, and then start thinking about something I saw on TV or in the news, and then, oh, I stopped praying again. I was so disturbed about this. I talked to a guy who was really, you know, sort of way ahead of me in spiritual things, um, and uh, I, I told him about this dynamic. I said, I'm no good at this prayer thing. I'm totally, like, distracted. I have a distracted mind and I I I don't you know I said what's the you know what do I do am I pretty much a write-off in the prayer department and he said Steve I'm quite encouraged by the way you describe your prayer life I said really and he said yeah he said because every time you turn your mind back to God it's like an act of worship and that really encouraged me because I thought boy when I pray for, like, five minutes, I turn my mind back to God dozens of times. So there's dozens of acts of worship in a five-minute span. I thought, boy, I'm really efficient with my prayer life. But that actually did really encourage me because I was quite discouraged. I thought, man, someone more focused, more disciplined, more, like, centered in on God. They got this case. But then I realized, no, I think we all experience this to some degree where that, the mind goes somewhere else. We get distracted. And we're very much like a child. We have our, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but it's like we pray ADD prayers. You know? Like, look, a bird. Oh, right, I was praying. And uh, I don't think that that uh, is something that God despises. In fact, I think that's something that God delights in. Uh, We often look at the adequacy of our prayers, and we give up. Thinking that something is wrong with us, but God looks at the adequacy of His Son Jesus, and He delights in our sloppy, meandering, childlike prayers. Now, if you're praying, if you're going to pray, now, now, having said that, let me, let me, I'll give you something just to move it out of the way, get it on the plate, and then we'll move on. I still think it's important to think through how you're going to discipline yourself in prayer. I think that's important. Uh, So I'll give you a counterbalance to that. Uh, Let me give you seven tips. These are simple. So far in this series on prayer, I haven't given you very many practical tips. And I thought, oh, the people who love practical tips are dying. uh, Or they don't like me. Uh, So let me give you seven very simple suggestions on how to uh, spend time with your father. Okay, And I'll give them real quick. Okay, So if you want to jot them down or whatever. But number one, if you want to... Especially if you wanted to establish like a morning routine. I've been trying for years to establish a morning routine. But our house is like, uh, well, we rock and roll all night and party every day. That's what we're like, okay? So uh, so it's really hard to establish a morning routine because nobody wants to go to bed. Everyone wants to just suck everything out of every day and nobody wants to go to bed. So the number one thing was to get to bed. That was my first tip. Seven simple suggestions. Get to bed. And so I have to really, uh, you know, some of you know that I I have a new routine. I read to my kids, and then I kick them out of my room. And that's how I love them. Uh, (laughs) But it's how I get to bed, right? I get into the bed because I know my temptation is when I read to the kids, and if I put them to bed, then I'll go down and go on the Internet, surf the net, or go watch a TV show, and I'll lose my chance to get to bed. So I actually have to be in the bed to do my last thing of the day. So I get to bed, read to my kids, and then I go, get out of here. Go to your rooms. (laughs) I love you, by the way. (laughs) And then I actually get to bed. So first thing is get to bed. The second thing is get up in the morning. Now, you can pray in your bed. You can pray anywhere. God can hear your prayers anywhere. But I know one thing for sure. If I say, I'm just going to stay under the covers this morning and pray, um, I won't really succeed too many times. So I actually have to get out of bed. So I get up. Number three is get awake. Now, for me, a shower helps with that. Uh, other people, coffee is the get-go. You know, it's the thing that they have to go to to get awake, right? But, but get awake so that you can actually pray. Because I've, I've done the one where I just sort of crawled out of bed and, you know, tried to sort of quickly go over and pray, and I'm asleep in a chair or sleep on the floor or sleep on a counter. You know, <laughs> you got to get awake. Okay, number four, get to a quiet place. So now this requires some forethought. What would be the best spot in my house? Or maybe it's away from your house. Maybe it's somewhere. Maybe it's in your truck. Or maybe it's at a restaurant at early in the morning. Or maybe it's someplace at your workplace where you could go to and be alone. Get to a quiet place where you won't be disturbed and you can, and you can, uh, you can pray. Number five, get comfortable. And you say, oh, but what about praying on your knees? Well, I've tried praying on my knees. And... Um, I can do it for a little bit, but then I get really uncomfortable. I, I end up sort of switching to a comfortable thing, position, to continue in prayer. So you can start on your knees, and that's all good if that works for you. But I'd say get comfortable, because if you want to spend time with God, and really you're creating an, a space for intimacy to happen. But right? You can't force intimacy. Have you noticed that in any of your relationships? We are going to spend some quality time, you and me, right now. <laughs> quality, quality, let's just pack it in. <laughs> No, you create a space that intimacy could happen in. And then, sometimes it does. At least you've made it conducive for that, instead of trying to force it to happen. So get comfortable. Create that space. Number six, get going. Begin. Okay? Uh, I'm going to throw out a challenge to you this week. So I asked you this first, the first week, I asked you to pray. Lord, teach me to pray, pray. And then last week, I asked you to add to that prayer the word, Father. So these are our baby steps, but I'm, this is a big step. This week, I'm going to ask you to try to pray for five minutes a day. Five minutes a day. For some people who are like Type A personalities, you're hating these baby steps. You're like, "Let's just get to the one-hour prayer extravaganza." No, five minutes. <laughs> five minutes. Because what's the what's the thing? Is is it that for most people, it's the consistency of prayer that's the challenge. That's the real challenge. And if you, your prayer, you say, I want to just go right to the, the you know, extreme prayer and two hours a day. Well, you'll do two hours, then you'll do 20 minutes, and then you'll quit the third day. Just do it every day. Just do it every day. So I'm going to ask you to take baby step number three, and that's five minutes. There's other steps to come, but would you, do, would you attempt to pray? Lord, teach me to pray, talk to Him as your Father, and do it for five minutes. Now, some of you, you realize I also talked about some other things, praying for people you're responsible, so that could be your family. um, That could be your uh, coworkers or maybe people that you're responsible for at work or stuff like that. But take those five minutes and and pray for your family and pray for others and and just talk to God about your own heart. Okay, five minutes. Okay, there's the challenge. Now, back to being praying like a child. Um, Let me just quickly say, this is not being childish. Childish and childlike are very different. One is like a horrible thing, and one is a wonderful thing. Being childish means that you should be an adult, but you're still whiny, still complainy. You haven't matured in all these ways. That's what being childish. So that's why we, we often use that in conversation. You're just being childish. You're not being mature. God's plan for all of us is to grow up in him, to be mature. So being childish is not something we hold on to and have as a badge of honor. But being childlike is. Being childlike is something that we think is pretty awesome. Let me give you a description of childlike prayer. It's a guy named Charles Hodge who wrote this. He said, in my childhood, I came nearer to praying without ceasing than any other period in my life. As far back as I can remember, I had the habit of thanking God for everything I received and asking Him for everything I wanted. Very childlike. If I lost a book or any of my playthings, I prayed that I might find it. I prayed walking along the street, in school and out of school, whether playing or studying. I did not do this in obedience to any prescribed rule, it seemed natural. I thought of God as an everywhere present being full of kindness and love who would not be offended if children talked to him. I knew he cared for sparrows. I was as cheerful and happy as the birds are and I acted just like they did. Isn't that a great picture of someone being free in their relationship with God? Well, I think that as, as adults, it's hard for us to get into that place of just really sort of a dependent relationship with God sometimes, even if you might have had that as a child. And sometimes it's actually the, the cares and concerns of lives that, of our lives that draw us back into it. Now, some of you you're thinking, OK, kids can be like that with God, but the rest of us have seen too much of the world. We've just seen too much. We've experienced too much. We're not carefree, happy little birds flitting around. We're people with real burdens, real responsibilities, real troubles. I don't know if this dependent childlikeness with God is really for me. Let me give you somebody in history who I think modeled a dependency on God and his name was Abraham Lincoln. This is what he said about his prayer life. He said, I have, this is in the time where they are trying to win the battle that will unite the country and end slavery's Uh, reign in the south forever serious stuff this is what he said I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go my own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day ever had those type of days I'm not talking about uniting a nation I'm just talking about where you just realized you had come to the end of yourself and it just didn't seem enough to accomplish the task. Abraham Lincoln said that drove him to his knees. It it put him into a position of dependency before God. I expect in Paris, there's some people who are speaking to God in a fresh way this week. They may be coming with very simple prayers, maybe just "God help." Or God, I don't know what to do. Or God, I'm so afraid. So rather than our responsibilities and our the the things that we've seen in life leading us to cynicism, which is probably the absolute opposite of childlikeness, it can have the potential to lead us towards a simplicity with God again. And I believe that's what God. Wants to work out every time we're in those tough situations. I wrote this, sometimes trying circumstances of life bring us to a place of dependence on God. But dependence on God is not just for impossible situations, it's for all of life. And nobody was more dependent on God than Jesus. You know, you, you look at, okay, who, you know, who are we hold up as the pinnacle of, of living as you know i mean he's god and he was man and that's a lot to figure out but but to live a perfect life as a man here's jesus and was he that independent you know rugged individualist who just did things on his own no shockingly he actually takes this position of dependence before the father that's a that's i think sort of stunning when you when you hear it in his own words let me give you let me give you some of his own words he said jesus gave them this answer very truly this is john 5 19 very truly i tell you the son can do nothing by himself he talked about himself i can do nothing by myself i can only do what i see my father doing because whatever the father does the son does he's saying i am dependent on the father this is jesus John 8, 28, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's talking about his death, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father taught me. Wow. I don't do anything on my own. I do it in dependence on the Father. I don't even speak on my own. I speak in dependence on the Father. That's amazing. John 5, 30, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. So he does what the Father does, says what the Father teaches him. He lives to please the Father. John 12, 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. So he didn't just do the Sermon on the Mount or the Lord's Prayer just out of his own. No, he's in dependence on the Father. John 17, 20. This is, actually I'll skip that one for now. All these things we're just saying. Jesus, Jesus modeled this dependency. He not only said, "Be childlike when you approach God. Come to Him in dependence." He also said, "I am 100% in that same game. I'm 100% dependent on God." now the interesting thing is most of us think of dependence and independence a certain way right when you're a kid you're super dependent and then you grow up and you become independent you move out of your parents basement at least by the time you're 40 right and you have get your own job you might even cut your hair or not whatever and now look at me I'm independent whatever the haircut's optional anyhow so that's how you sort of see life that's how we see the physical world but the spiritual world is not that way The spiritual world is different. When you first sort of think about God or encounter God or maybe have your first time where you're sort of speaking to God and praying to God, you sort of have a sense that you need God, but it's small. No, it might seem huge. You might be like, I need God in my life. That's why I'm praying for the first time. That's why I'm crying out to him. But let me just let you know. Compared to If you continue to walk with God, you'll understand more and more how much more you need him as you go. So it isn't that you start out dependent, I really need God in my life, and then God comes into your life, and now I need God less and less and less as I go on to the end of my life. No, in fact, it's the opposite way around. It's I really need God in my life, and you realize that, but then as you continue to walk with God, you continue to walk in dependence on him, you realize, I need him more and more and more and more. So that's why some of you who are in your 70s and 80s, you, and have become spiritually mature. You sense very deeply within you that you need God more than ever before. That's not a sign of spiritual immaturity. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. We're meant to grow into. And so, what are we? What is God's plan? What's His dream for our lives? That we'll become more and more like Jesus. Well, what it was, Jesus. Jesus was totally dependent on the Father. I mean, we never arrive on this earth. We just keep uh, following him, and he changes us slowly bit by bit. But you want to know what the goal is to become like Jesus, totally dependent on the Father. And Jesus was 100% saying, I don't do anything on my own. I do it in relationship with the Father. I do it depending on him. I do it lockstep with him. We do this together. This is father-son business, and we have a really well-oiled togetherness in how we do it. I want to just look at one example and that's the example of one of Jesus' disciples is a guy named Nathaniel. Let me just read it to you. John chapter 1 and verse 46. There's a story of Nathaniel. It's about that far into your Bible if you've got one in front of you in the bench there. Most of the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the good baby names. Okay, John chapter 1, four, verse 46. Oh my goodness, my eyes. Okay, I'm going to hold it about eight feet away from my head. Let's see it. <laughs> it. says, Philip, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. I'm going to back up a bit. And Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Now, I want you to look at his initial reaction. Philip said, Hey, we found we found the Messiah. You know the one that all the this old the Old Testament, all this part, prophecies and everything, this talked about the Messiah coming, and we found him. Oh, really? Yeah, he's from Nazareth. Nazareth. You almost imagine Nathaniel going, Nazareth, spit, you know, you know, just like, come on. You know what I think about the people from Nazareth. Remember that party the other night and the Nazareth boys showed up and we had it out? And Oh, yeah, those guys. You think, Are you telling me that the Messiah, God's promised one, the, the hope of the Jewish people, and he didn't maybe know, but the hope of the world is kind of come from there? Nathaniel was prejudiced. He was. He was prejudging anyone who came from Nazareth. So when Jesus comes along, he says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What? Really? I think Jesus is speaking the truth. Here is a guy where his. His, um, his sin, his hang-ups, his issues are right on the surface. He's not hiding them. He didn't say, oh, you're from Nazareth. Well, nice to meet you. I heard there's a lot of nice people from Nazareth. other night, I was, so I was working on my message for this morning, and I, I ended up at Smitty's on the Highway. That was where my office was that day. So I just went up to Smitty's on the Highway, and I got a corner booth. By now, the waitress knows me, so she gives me the same booth. It's awesome. And uh, anyhow, sometimes it's a really great place to study, and sometimes not. And this time was a little more challenging, because I had three guys in the booth behind me. They're just swearing a blue streak, and they're just like telling all their opinions about all the world events, and of course, solving them all, so that's really helpful. And, uh, You know, and they're just, you know, going on and on about I think this and I think that. And and I'm reading about Nathaniel, and I think, you know what? I think these guys are like Nathaniel. You know what? There's no guile. There's no hiddenness. It's all on the surface. And I think when Jesus met Nathaniel, or if he'd met the three guys in the booth, I think he'd have this same thought. He'd say, I can work with this. I can work with this. Because nothing's hidden. It's all on the surface. Oh, these guys got issues. Nathaniel had issues. Did God want him to continue to prejudge every person he met? No. But all... Nathaniel had to work on was his sin there's another group that jesus ran into which was much harder for jesus to really have any impact on and that was the people they were called the pharisees and they were religious people who gave off they projected an aura that they had it together so when jesus tried to impact them he had to first confront their facade They're faking it. The mask that they wore. And so it was much harder for Jesus to make, because Jesus wanted to deal with their sin too, but no, they wanted to pretend like they didn't have any sin, like nothing was wrong with them, that they had it all together. And so for Jesus to impact them, he had to lead them out of their hypocrisy, then he could lead them out of their sin. For guys like Nathaniel, it was like, oh, it's all on the surface. It's really easy. Well, not only Jesus could do it, But they were so much closer to what God wanted them to be because they were being real. So it was easy for Jesus to begin to work with the raw material of a guy like Nathaniel. How does that apply to us? I want to say, don't try to get prayer right as much as you try to get prayer real. I mean, we want to sometimes, we want to make a formula of it, or we want to get the right words, we want to impress other people, and that's what the Pharisees of the day were doing. They are trying to impress people with their prayer. And you know what? I think God delights in the people who come to him just as they are, and when the real you meets the real God, I think that's what he's looking for. and bringing your real self to Jesus. You give him the opportunity to work on the real you and you, the real you, will slowly change. And it'll be real change. The kingdom will come. The kingdom will come to this little circle. And his will will be done in this little circle. You'll end up less selfish. Jesus will rule and reign more and more. He'll be more the king of your life. So don't be paralyzed by who you are. Begin with who you are. Come messy like a little child. Come dirty like a little child. Come distracted like a child. Come selfish like a child. Come afraid like a child. Come just like you are. See, I don't think Nathaniel was too gruff for God. I don't think Jesus was looking at him and saying, this guy's not religious enough. He loves to work with authentic people. And a real person's journey to be more like God is straightforward, right? They're not hiding. So come as you are and come like a child. So this week, as we take on this week's challenge, okay, again, We're layering it on. Lord, teach me to pray. So we're admitting we're beginners and we don't have it together. And that we need the teaching that only God can give us in this area. And to come to God as a father, a good father who loves to give gifts to his children. Okay? That's a big one. Some of you made that. Some of you, I assume, I challenged you last week. Remember I said that some people pray, spend time, but they see it as sort of only, they say spending time with God and that's valuable and that's absolutely true. And then other people pray, and they see it as sort of getting things done. Like, I'm going to pray, and God's going to bring results into my life, and that's what it's about, which is also good. But that God wants to bring those things together, and so that some of you are going to have to tiptoe into one area or the other a little bit more. I don't know if I'm not taking a survey right now, but I'm hoping that you did that a little bit this week, or even thought about that aspect of your way that you pray, that maybe you do lean one way or you do lean the other way, and that God wants to bring those together. But this week, I'm, again, Lord, teach me to pray father that's hard for me I I caught myself all week saying Lord God Jesus all good things to say as you start a prayer but I tried this week to go oh father father good father who loves to give good gifts his children oh yeah and you know what once I started thinking about who he was and less about who I am a sloppy prayer it was easy to pray So much easier to pray. Self-forgetfulness is key. Super key. Focus on Him. Forget about yourself. Concentrate on Him and worship Him. Okay? And then five minutes a day. See if you can try that this week. You don't have to do it. But I challenge you to. If you want to grow in your prayer life, just try to take these challenges. And here's the thing. As you attempt to pray, you will also experience failures in trying to pray. And when that happens... Remember who he is and don't, remember who he is. A good father who loves to give gifts to his kids, okay? The enemy will come in, swoop in, try to distract you, tell you that you're a failure spiritually, all those things. Uh, Often the best thing you can do when someone comes in and they criticize you is agree with the things they got right, (laughs) right? Yeah, you're right. Spiritually, I don't have it. Spiritually, I can't do it. Spiritually, I need God. Thanks for reminding me about my need for dependence. I'm going to go pray. Can I pray for you today? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for your graciousness to us, that as we try to follow you and even try to pray and interact with you, that you, you help us. Said, and the Bible says your spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, even when we don't know what to pray, you help us. So God, I thank you that this process is not, not dependent on who we are, but as we look to you, we can depend on you. Even in, we depend on you to relate to you. It's amazing. So thank you so much for your, your grace for us. Thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you've uh, called us into relationship with you. All the things that we have in that are astounding to us. We, we thank you that um, we get to be your, your sons and daughters. Thank you. I don't fully understand this one, but that somehow we enter into some sort of brotherhood with Jesus thank you for that god i thank you in advance because i expect through the years we'll get to figure that one out more and that'll become even more precious but right now i just i thank you because i'm pretty sure it's a treasure that is yet to be discovered but god we just thank you so much for all that you've given us and uh, the access that we have to you we wouldn't trade it for anything there's nothing else that would be worth trading it for Being able to call on you, being able to come to you, being able to know you uh, is is the greatest treasure of all. So God, I pray that you would uh, help us to pray, teach us to pray, and take us the next step. And Lord, when we get discouraged, bring us back to focusing on you and you alone. Yeah. I thank you that this relationship, the one we have with you, is not mainly defined by us. We're the junior partner. We're, it's defined mainly by you. And so it's something we can always rejoice about, always be thankful about, because uh, at the other end of the relationship, we get to be in relationship with you. So we thank you, we praise you. I pray for everyone who's here this week. I pray that you just really watch over them and guide them, especially people who are taking a, a little baby step. They're, they're, they're drawing their attention back to you this week. They say, oh God, God, I'm gonna kick start the bike again. Kick the bike again, and I'm going to persevere because I believe that you are. I'm meant to uh, be propelled forward in my life through interaction with you, through through prayer and engaging with you. So, Lord, would you just guide us and lead us? We love you in your name. Amen. We're going to turn things back to the worship team. They're going to lead us a little bit. But you know, if you came this morning. Um, and you really would like someone to pray with you or talk with you, there's going to be myself and there's other mature leaders who are going to be up here as well. And uh, we're just going to be up at the front. If you want to catch us afterwards, we're going to make this a place where people can pray and chat and, and have spiritual conversations. And we'll make the entryway a place where people could just visit and hang out and, and uh, meet and greet one another and all that stuff, okay? So, But we'll, we'll just sing a song first before we... Before we pray here, or before we allow that to happen, and then uh, we'll turn things over to... So, Kurt, maybe you can give us a cue at the end of the song just to allow us to enter into prayer. Anyway, God bless you guys.